right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast, episode 258. Tommy Tahoe in the house, October 13th. Let's get after it. Got a heck of an episode today, folks. Um, Ian Cognac, this is um, this is an all-time great. Let me just tell you right off the bat uh, that you're going to be thankful that you uh, you know spent the 45 minutes to an hour listening to this podcast. Ian just has an amazing story. He dropped some incredible bombs on this one for anyone throughout their sales career. I think they can get a ton of value. Um, let's give a quick backdrop on on Ian. Uh, he's been in enterprise sales for 18 years, uh, both at Rico and at Salesforce. He sold over $100 million, $100 million throughout his career, um, and including one deal that was over 10, uh, maybe multiple deals that were over 10, but at least one that he talks about on this show. Uh, he does talk about his largest deal ever. Um, and, and just that would be enough. Just that would be enough to hear from Ian and hear what he has to say and be fully captivated by everything and learn how to be a better strategic seller. But that's only half the story. The other half is Ian's personal journey. Um, and he talks about his struggles and his addictions to drug, drugs and alcohol and other vices uh, earlier in his career throughout his 20s and you know how he conquered that and came through the other side and really worked through the highs and lows of that while still being a top performer, um, and on the other side, becoming more fulfilled personally uh, with his family, uh, with his faith, with his finances. Um, and, and to me, Ian is just an incredible story, uh, incredibly inspirational about you know the type of person that I'd like to be. And um, I, I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. Um, before we get to Ian in one minute, uh, let's just do a quick shout out to our sponsor. Um, first of all, uh, millennial sales and everything that we do, we will sponsor this show. Uh, so check me out on LinkedIn. That's the best place to find me, Tom Alemo. I'm Tommy Tahoe everywhere else on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and so on down the list. Would love if you subscribed and reviewed this show that really helps us get more downloads and, and build this and, and spread it to more people. But the other sponsors of this podcast, the OGs, Postal.io. Postal is a marketplace that helps you create better relationships with your customers. Uh, so you can send gifts to customers and prospects. Uh, instead of just the Starbucks gift card, it can be from the, uh, it can be from the, bar, uh, the, the brewery down the street. It can be from the local florist. It helps you create the connection. And so when you're not seeing people in person or not doing that as frequently, it's a great way to do that digitally. Um, that's one of my, one of my favorite moves uh, that I saw uh, coming from another rep uh, was at the end of the quarter, he and his SDR sent out gifts to um, just like gift cards, Starbucks gift cards to uh, VPs of their selected persona that they're selling to uh, that said, hey, that they didn't get in touch with or that they talked to six months ago and said, hey, no, it's been a while. Hope you enjoyed this coffee for end of quarter. It's kind of like that light touch before you get back into the hunting that begins in a new quarter. So that's a fun tip for you. Otherwise, go check them out at postal.io. Show me some love on LinkedIn and everywhere else. Without further ado, let's get into this outstanding interview with Ian Cognac. Let's go. All right, Ian Cognac, welcome to the Millennial Sales Podcast. How are you this afternoon? I'm great. Nice to see you, Tom. Great to be here. Yeah, man. Uh, I am. I'm pumped to have you on. I've been following your content for a while. Um, you've been making big moves uh, in the content space and in the coaching space. You're just looking at your stats alone on LinkedIn. I, I, I challenge anyone to go to your profile and stack their numbers against yours over the last 20 years as a salesperson. So I'm, I'm super excited to have you on. Thank you, man. Great to be here and happy to help your audience however I can. So, um, so let's get into it, man. Um, you've been, it, it, you've sold, I think a hundred million dollars plus, uh, in your sales career and have tr had tremendous success at Rico and, and at Salesforce and now doing some coaching. Just walk me through just like the very, very beginning of the journey, like why you got into sales, how you got into sales. What was the, the first step for you? Yeah, I think, um, when you have a strong why, you're always going to figure out how. And for me, when I started in sales, I had an extremely strong why as to 
not only why I wanted to be in sales, but why I needed to make a lot of money very quickly and be successful. So before sales, um, I've told this story to a few people, but I, I was actually a teacher, interestingly enough. I, I yeah. was in college and I left um, Berkeley. I graduated back in 2001 and I, I just didn't want to go into the corporate world. I loved traveling. I had been living in Australia for a year as um, studying abroad and I just wanted to keep going. And so I found a... Um, an externship to go teach English in South America. And I lived there for a year and it was amazing. <laughs> and I, I got to camp in crazy wild places and have so many adventures and, and um, really, really did. It was one of the best years of my life. And part of that journey was that I fell in love when I was down there. And my, when my visa ran out, um, I had a choice to make, you know, when I stay in South America or come back to the U S and, you know, as much as I liked it down there, I, I knew that I couldn't live there long-term. It was you know, fairly dangerous. The economy wasn't great. And it's only gotten worse in Venezuela since then. But um, I basically had to say goodbye to my girlfriend and uh, leave this amazing world and go be move back in with my parents. And I had no money, no job, and no girlfriend. And so it was, uh, it was like going from the highest of highs to like a real you know, low, low of lows. And um, I was just like, I got to get out of here. You know, I have to be able to um, see my girlfriend again. I love her, but she had zero money. I mean, the Venezuelan currency, you can't go and buy a plane ticket or, you know, get mm. to the U.S. So it was on me to be able to figure out a way to fly her here from Venezuela. And the only way I could do that was if I somehow was able to pay for her college and get her a student visa to wow. come to come to the U.S. And so um, very in very short order, uh, I, I started exploring jobs that I can get and, and teaching wasn't an option and yeah. travel writing and photojournalism, which I wanted to do, wasn't an option. That was all freelance. I'm like, well, what can I do to make as much money as possible? And so I, I thought, you know, I might be good at sales. I, I had done retail sales uh, in, in college as a summer job and, you know, uh, finished well. And, and um, so I went to a sales career fair and there was a company there called Lanier um, in Lanier, I didn't know what they did, but it turns out they sold copiers and, and printers. Um, they ended up getting bought by Rico down the road. But um, I just, I still remember there was a big flyer and it said, make 50K year one, 75K year two, and 100K plus year three. Now, keep in mind, this is 20 years ago. So yeah. I, I was living with my parents. I didn't have to pay rent. I'm like, well, 50K, I can save enough for her tuition of, of 15,000, save enough for an apartment, fly her here and, and go ahead and, and make it happen. What do I have to do? So I, I got an interview and they, they said, we will guarantee your 50K if you um, do what we say you need to do. Um, and I, and I said, great, sign me up. And so they, they basically took a chance on me with no sales experience and, uh, gave me the job because I was wow. extremely hungry and I had to succeed. You know, their, their interview question was, why would we hire a teacher, <laughs> you know, yeah. with no sales experience? They laughed. And I said, cause I have to make this work. I don't have a choice. And I got into why, and they, they could see that I was very driven. And fortunately that drive really never left me you know, and now in 19 years of, of selling. So that's how I got started. Um, I started selling door-to-door -door copiers uh, yeah. and it was a business-to-business -business sale. They stuck me in the, the worst of the territories uh, that they had like four or five reps turnover in the past year. I mean, no one lasted even months there. It was Koreatown and I didn't speak any Korean. Um, <laughs> there was not a big base of customers and they basically said, go cold call door-to-door, -door, give out your business cards and sell copiers. And these were $10,000 copiers. And so it really was the school of hard knocks. Uh, and um, it taught me how to really, you know, prospect, how to close hard, how to, um, I got a lot of reps. I got a lot of reps in the B2B world, how, really resilience and persistence and just skill through that first year of selling. It just gave me so much um, confidence. And fortunately, I was able to get my, girlfriend here unfortunately she she and i didn't work out um and that has that's a different story but that's how i got started and, and here we are 19 years later that's wild i think everyone that's been in sales for for a while and, and has had success always has a, an interesting story of getting in and also just those battle scars from especially the first year like it, you're always given a really tough situation tough territory maybe you're working for 
you know, a bad company or you've had a tough stretch in some way um, and having to work through that. But just looking again through the numbers, like it looked like you, you picked it up super quickly. At one point, you know, you're, you're promoted to management a few times, uh, hit 42 consecutive months, uh, which will put an exclamation point on that. That's almost four years in a row. Like where, where are you at in that space of your life? You're probably in like your mid twenties, just hunting, just super ambitious, crushing it. Like just can't be stopped from a professional standpoint at that point, probably. Yeah. I, I, I would say on the, on the career side, I was, I was definitely, um, crushing it. You know, I was the guy who got up at the SKOs and the conferences and would like be the rep presenting on what to do. Um, and it was interesting. It was, it was an interesting time in my life. Uh, I, I ended up, you know, I, I went through a rough patch on the personal side in in the twenties and I was working really hard and I was playing really, really hard at at the same time. And even when you talk about it, I think back to those days and I don't remember just the killing it of the, the, the sales. I remember the wild times in my own personal life and how crazy yeah. I was. And, and it, it does give me, you know, a little heartache to, to think back upon because I, I had worked so hard and I, I had such this crazy confidence and ego that like I had all this energy and on the weekends I needed to channel it. And, and it was an interesting time where, where, you know, it was a lot of people I'd say in their twenties, mid twenties. And it was like this party culture at, at mm. Rico where I worked and we were all making money. Um, like I said, the girlfriend and I, the ex-girlfriend didn't work out. She ended up cheating on me and I was in a mm. lot of pain. I had brought her here. Yeah. We were living together. It happened under the roof. And, you know, it was, it was a channel for me where I worked really hard and that made me feel good about myself. Cause I was personally, you know, hurting a lot. And so, yeah. um, you know, it's just bringing back memories. Like on, on the career side, I was definitely dialed in. I hit 42 months in a row, which still stands as a company record. But, you know, that taught me a lot like that. Even if you have success on the external world, if you don't have your internal values and integrity and foundation where it needs to be, then all that doesn't really mean anything. So um, it, it was a it was a time where I experienced um, a lot of success. And actually, I experienced a lot of um, personal failures outside of outside of work that mm-hmm. I think I, I learned a lot from that, that I really makes me value what I have today. And, and what I do today with my free time is so different. And it was yeah. just um, kind of a wild time in my life, to be to be frank with you. Yeah. Uh, Tom, but yeah, I was I was dialed in on the career side, for sure. Well, I've heard you talk a little bit um, about just the the drinking, the drugs, the addiction, the women, just uh, all of that. Um, just like you mentioned, you're you're grinding during the day and then like going out and, and partying, you know, at night or or on the weekends. Um, how how long was that? Like, was that portion of your life where all of that was going on before you kind of hit a, a a bit of a breaking point on the personal side? I, I would say um, it really went from 2005 to 2010. So about a five year mm-hmm. period. So yeah. I got cheated on in September, 2005. Not like I remember the <laughs> exact month and year, but yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's when it happened. <laughs> and that's when I just like was bitter and pissed. And it was like, I'm going to, yeah. you know, just bust my ass and have a lot of fun and screw, screw everything. Um, and that went on honestly, until I met my wife. So I met my wife in July of 2000. 10, uh, I met her at a Tony Robbins conference and, and she um, definitely changed my life for the better and gave mm. me focus and direction towards another person versus towards, I would say, this, this debauchery kind of lifestyle where I was definitely, and I mentioned this because I know there's a millennial podcast and you have an audience yeah. and I'm sure there's a lot of people that are in the same boat where they're working really hard, they're single and they're having fun. And it's like, it's not fulfilling, right? It's, it's that yeah cycle that you're in. And I I coach a lot of people that are in the same cycle and it's like, they're making all this money, but they're not happy. They're just like, it's just ego driven and just big, excited craziness. But then in in the inside, it's like, what is, what is this all for? There's this part of me that, that wasn't fulfilled. So I meet my wife and she's just like polar opposite of me. And um, it really did force me to kind of, um, put on a good face with her and, and really like show her by she brought brings out the best in me. Right. Cause she won't stand for that. And interestingly enough, my wife, um, 
so when I met her, um, it was at a Tony Robbins firewalk and she was the firewalk partner that I had. <laughs> so no talk about stars aligning. Yeah. Talk about, you know, God putting you in the right place with the right person. That was the story of my marriage. And, and, um, we went through this exercise together and the exercise, Tony Robbins had us journal on one question and then share it with a partner. And she happened to be my partner for that question. And the question was, um, what is the one thing that you need to change in your life to live the life that you deserve? And she looks at me and she starts crying and she basically says she can barely talk. And she's like, I need to divorce my husband. And I'm thinking jackpot. <laughs> <laughs> a, little, a little humor for you there. No, but the, 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 the truth is, um, then we got wow. into it. She, we got into it. And that was like, and she was, she's beautiful. My wife is, is stunning and inside and out. And, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm going to give you the life you deserve. That was my first thought wow. when I met her. I'm going to give you the life you deserve. And she basically opens up and it's like, well, why do you need to divorce your husband? What's going on? And she just pours her heart out and says like, he's an alcoholic. And for 11 years I've had to, you know, worry and stress and he's gotten in trouble with the law. And, you know, I'm up at night, not knowing where he is and all this stuff and pours her mm. heart out, poor thing. And what's ironic is I'm thinking to myself at the time that, you know, I, I'm going to give her the life that, that, um, she she deserves and meanwhile i'm like deep in this kind of addictive lifestyle of work hard play hard so right. I, I have to turn on this face this this um you know we end up we end up becoming friends talking and then it gets you know into a very serious relationship very quick and she does leave her husband and and yeah. um she thinks that i'm this goody goody right and she thinks that i'm this you know saint compared to him and, and meanwhile i'm still kind of living this lifestyle but just kind of hiding it from her not sharing it and, and yeah you know fast forward um you know all this ended ended up blowing up in my face that's why i talk about addiction i talk about what's really important in life a lot when i go on these podcasts because um, i almost lost my family because i did keep secrets and i i did have this part of me that i didn't want to reveal because she was so good she was so pure and i i just didn't want to um, disappoint her. And so I, I kind of lived a double life in that sense where I kept a big part of who I was from her. And, and um, you know, it's all kind of come full circle now. And now yeah. I can truly look at anyone I talk to and say, I am me and I'm not living lies and, and I'm living a life of integrity and, and honesty. And it, it feels really, really good to be able to say that. But all these experiences kind of brought me to where I am today. And if I hadn't gone through them and, and yeah, and and live that i wouldn't appreciate what it means to to live in a you know life of integrity and, and values that are driven by principles and not um money and recognition and external success of what other people tell you you need to achieve and i think that was the bulk of my 20s is i was i was doing things for other people and what i thought you know i should do versus what really made me happy and truly fulfilled as a person mm. that's a great story and and just a real quick point i, I went to a Tony Robbins uh, UPW event like three or four years ago, and it, it changed my life too. Uh, and uh, maybe maybe shorter time horizons, but was doing the the same thing you were talking about the first year or two in sales, like you know getting after it during the day and like you know going out and partying five six nights a week. And you know when I moved from Boston to to San Francisco, that was kind of like the point where I I tried to alleviate and, and really change my behaviors. And one of the key things in that was going to that event. And like, if you haven't been for, for any of the listeners, you absolutely should. Um, and I could see why, if you're talking about some of those exercises with someone, like they go deep, like you're, you're revealing your whole self to people that you just met, which is one of the, the wildest experiences I feel like I've ever had. Yeah. Good for you, man. I mean, I, I would encourage everybody to, to go to that. If you really, have have wanted to make changes for a long time in your life, but have been unable to get away from yourself or break the patterns or cycles that you're in right now. It, it's a great, um, you know, chance to completely disrupt all the patterns and your ways of thinking and just break you down. And especially that Saturday in the event where they go mm. really deep into like fast forwarding into what your life would be like in five yeah. or 10 years, if you're not changing. I mean, we had people screaming and yeah. yelling and it was, it was so intense, but man, I mean, talk about getting real, like with, you know, people change 
when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And a lot of times we're just not in enough pain. You know, it's like, well, you know, I'm comfortable and what, why do I really need to change? And, and that kind of exercise, that visualizing of like what your life will be like and, you know, in, in, in many years and really digging into, you know, the things that, that you, you don't like about yourself is extremely powerful to make you realize and basically stop rationalizing, you know, why you don't need to change. Because rationalize, the word I've heard someone say is rational lies. They're, they're, <laughs> they're lies, but they're rational. So yeah. you can tell yourself something, but it doesn't mean it's the truth. And so um, events like that, that, that are big pattern interrupters, I, I'm still doing work like that. I'm still going to these personal development events for, for myself to really stay true to who I know I am because I lose focus mm. sometimes and you get caught in, you know, your success or whatever you're working on or whatever's, you know, whatever the season is presenting. And sometimes um, you lose sight of like who you truly are and in and, and your motives of what you're doing, why, why you're doing, and, and you just get caught yeah. in the grind. And so I have to um, hit reset. I try to hit reset every year at least and get back to my core and, and build upon the core that I know is, is my essence. And, and those events are, are just fantastic for doing that. So kudos for you for going. And I'm glad it was life-changing for you, Tom. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask like, to, cause I'm sure, you know, just from knowing other people that, that have had, you know, addictions and things of that sort, like that there is, you, you have to stay on the path, right? You have to stay diligent on the path. And it doesn't mean that even though you are staying diligent, that there's not temptations that come along. And so I was curious, it sounds like you do that once a year or maybe twice a year, kind of like big event. Are there other things that you do to, to help you kind of stay in that, that proper mindset? If it's a, you know, some people might, you know, meditate or journal, or maybe it's just, spending time with your family or, or something completely different, but just curious if, if there's any other practices daily or weekly that yeah. you do. I think um, for me, I have a lot, I have a lot yep. of practices, which I would say remind me. Um, I think once a year wouldn't be enough. I, I have a morning routine and regular, you know, if you look at like truly successful people, not just on the outside, but truly successful in, in their families, in their health. I'm running a half marathon on Sunday. I have a beautiful family. Um, I, I am really, really, you know, I feel right now at a place where I can go do anything I want and make it happen because I have belief in myself. And that's what I, that's what I mean by truly successful people is people that I look up to and that mentor me are yeah. the kind that have no limits that they're setting. They, they, they see infinite possibility. And, and I've found that a common denominator, you know, for those, folks is they do have routines that, you know, um, essentially um, help them, you know, keep the, the saw sharp, as Stephen Covey says. Um, for anybody listening, I, I would, the first book I would ever pick up and recommend for how to develop yourself and how to actually overcome, you know, bad habits or ways of thinking and truly empower yourself to, to be the very best version of yourself is um, Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm -hmm. And habit number seven is that it's sharpen the saw. So yep. um, he talks about, you know, doing things that help your, you mentally, um, spiritually, physically, and, and emotionally um, with your relationships. And so for me, um, I touch upon all of those things physically. Um, I'm exercising three, four days a week, at least I go on long runs, um, you know, on, on a regular basis. I go on my Peloton bike. I, I take walks with my family. Um, that hits a few of the, <laughs> a few of the buckets, but exercise yeah. for me is, is fundamental. And in the morning, especially it sets the tone for the day. Um, the second thing I do is prayer. I, every day I pray, right? For me, things that have happened to me, I, I know are not coincidence. I do believe um, in, in God strongly. And, and I believe he saved me many times um, in, in many ways. And so for me, if I don't pray, my faith can diminish, right? It's like, I yep. can question things. So even if I'm not feeling like, especially strong or faithful, I still take a few minutes to say a prayer, a gratitude prayer of what I'm thankful for, which some people do gratitude journals. For me, it's just thanking God for the blessings and asking him for strength in the areas where I, where I need it. So that's fundamentally important. Every single day I have lunch with my wife, right? So mm. no matter what's going on, I'll block off an hour. We'll have lunch together to feed that emotional connection. Yeah. Um, and I also... Um, do things to keep my energy high. So, you know, for me, I, I don't have a heavy breakfast. I have a, um, 
uh, an energy shake in the morning that, you know, really gets me feeling good. I make sure I get my rest. I set my priorities for the day. So I'm focused on, you know, what matters and I'm, I'm you know, really working on the things that are going to move the needle in my business. So I take time in the morning to plan, to pray, to exercise, to get my, you know, physical energy with the shake. So I do that stuff every day. If I run, I'll take a cold shower afterwards. It wakes me up. So I have these yep. little things I do on a daily basis, on a weekly basis um, that really do kind of force me, force me to, to, yeah. Um, to get in, into peak performance mode and to remind myself because they're hard. It's hard to wake up early and exercise. It's hard to take a cold yeah. shower. It's hard to pray if you're not feeling it, right? So these things are like, they, they really establish not only the discipline, but you feel great when you do them. And then it just becomes like, okay, I'm not feeling good. Oh, what happened? I didn't exercise. Oh, what happened? I, I forgot to pray. It's like, so yeah. I notice it physically when I don't do things. And these are hacks, frankly, that anyone can do strategic selling um, techniques in the world. But if you don't have that foundation of, of work ethic and discipline and rock solid values and integrities that makes you want to be of service to the people, you know, you're, you're screwed long-term. Even if you are financially successful and you end up selling, you're going to have a void inside of you that um, will never be filled until you really, you know, it, I think um, Maslow's hierarchy, hierarchy of needs describes this really well. The, the highest level is that self-actualization, becoming mm -hmm. oneself and staying true to one's values. And, and, and that's really right now where I'm focused is knowing who I am. And that's why I quit Salesforce, right? I'm, I'm leaving Salesforce. My last day is Friday because um, my values now have evolved into serving other people in, in a much bigger way. And I, I know I wouldn't be true to myself if I just was focused on you know, what I was doing there instead of, you know, pursuing my coaching uh, career. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk to you about motivation for, for a second. I think um, it sounds like we both kind of fell into a similar uh, trap and, and it's, I think it's pretty common for, you know, young people, especially salespeople that are ambitious. They want to make money. They want to get promoted. They want some sort of, of success. Um, and beginning of your career is like really kind of like extrinsically motivated, right? On the, 100%. I want to buy this car. I want to pay off my student loans. I want to be a millionaire by a certain age, whatever it might be. Um, and it, it sounds like that was driving you for a long time and worked, right? That's yeah. the, the the tricky part is that it, it works. That's and then the, the, that's the deception. And, and, and yeah. I want to keep going with it going, but I, I don't regret a thing about what I did and what got me there. And that's what yeah. I needed at the time. That was my motivation, right? It yeah. shifted as I experienced that external success, but keep going with what, what you were asking about. No. Yeah. Well, I, I think like when I think about my early sales career, like I would be in my head, I'd never say it to people, but I'd be like, uh, you know, looking around other sales jobs to be like, Oh, I'm going to smoke him and smoke her. Like it was just like, it was so competitive with other people. And, and as I've, I've gotten older and more, more mature, I think that's kind of burnt me out and it's trying to focus on. And what I think it seems like for you too, is like focusing on a, a, a larger thing here that you're, you know, whether it's your family, it sounds like whether it's the person that you want to be. And now whether it's, you know, serving these other people that you're coaching and teaching. Um, but yeah, talk me through that evolution a little bit, because I agree. I don't regret having that, that different type of motivation. It, it served me for a period of time, but I just don't think it's sustainable for most people to do that long-term. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll kind of share my, my background, but before I do, the, 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 happiness, um, the happiness advantage, great, great book. And it mm. talks about, um, here, here's kind of the, the thing I've learned over the years is um, I used to always think success would bring happiness, right? And so I chased success, but I was never happy. And yeah. the happiness advantage you know, I shouldn't say I was happy. I was in good spirits. I was socially wouldn't, I wasn't depressed moping around, but I always felt this void. I always felt like, mm. is this it? Like a hamster running on a wheel. I'm like, what am I doing all? There's in the back of my head that was just like, man, this doesn't feel that great. <laughs> you know, yeah. it feels, feels a little empty. Um, and the happiness advantage, it, it, it throws that on, flips it on its head. It says the, the most successful people put their happiness first. So happiness mm. leads to success, not the other way around. Mm. And that is a, is a great book. And there's also a TED talk called The Happiness Advantage as well, if you don't want to read the whole book that kind of summarizes it. But it's a long study of happiness and success in the workplace. And people who do put their happiness first are actually easier to do business with. They're more compatible. They communicate better and they rise faster and achieve more success at work. So prioritize yeah. happiness. And, and I, I think um, 
you know, people have a different way of doing that. For me in my 20s, my prioritization of happiness was taking trips to Vegas or, you know, going to the bars and clubs and, and really kind of letting loose because, you know, but there was this this cycle that that I was in. And, and um, I think, you know, for, for one thing, if you have student debt, if you have um, a crummy apartment you're living in and you want to improve your circumstances, if you can't, you know, uh, you have to take the bus because you don't have a car or you're not, you're not proud of your car to go on dates or whatever, of course, you're going to be money motivated. And that's good. I think yeah. money motivation is a very, very good thing in sales. Okay. And people can say, I'm altruistically motivated and, you know, I'm great in sales, but I think that's bullshit. Okay. I think the best people that crush it in sales really like making money and the lifestyle it affords or, okay. Yeah. I'm saying this for a reason because I'm quitting sales and I'm, I'm retiring from sales. I'm not going to say quitting. I'm retiring from corporate sales and running my own business, which still has selling a huge component of it involved, but my motives now are truly more altruistic. And if I wanted to just say, oh, I can be the best salesperson by helping my customers grow and succeed. Yeah, I can do that and make a million dollars, but it's very different. Okay. Because the stress yeah. in the day-to-day -day grind and, and what you go through during that process, um, you better not, you know, having this clear vision and a reason for why you want to make money lets you put up with and get through the daily grind, the rejection, the hardships. So I mm. do think it is really important to have a, um, you know, have, have a, a vision for what you want in your life. Now you get to a certain point where you get all those things. Okay. So let's just say you want a, a, a certain type of house and you're able to buy that house and you want to drive a certain type of car and you're able to buy that car and you want to support your family and you're able to, and now you still have excess millions in the bank. Yeah. And you're like, well, what am I going to do with it? Just, just spend it frugal, you know, recklessly, or maybe I'll start investing. And so you buy some real estate or you get some cash flow net positive investments where you create some residual income yourself outside of work. You can do all these things and create a very nice lifestyle for yourself. But unless you fundamentally enjoy what you're doing at some point, the money if it's not about the money anymore, you're gonna get tired of the grind and you're gonna ask yourself, well, I, how, long, how much longer could I do that? And, and, and that's where I was in sales you know, a couple mm. of years ago. I said, okay, I have made a million dollars twice now. I've been able to buy my dream house. I drove a Maserati. I have multiple <laughs> real estate properties and condos and apartments and all kinds of investments um, that were doing well. And it's like, okay, is it all about just the money? Like the, you get to a point where you're making enough money to take care of your needs and then some, you, and you don't have to worry about money anymore. And then yeah. it becomes, okay, what do I really want to be doing? Where do I really find joy and fulfillment? What is my dream that I was afraid to pursue before because I thought it wouldn't make enough money or I didn't want to give up the money I had? And so I, I got to a place um, a few years ago, I'll give you one more story on how I got started with coaching, Yeah. where um, it, I, I remember the day, it was, it was December 28th, 2018, okay? And Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits, talks about this a lot. And he said, if someone was to write your obituary right mm. now, let's say you only had 30 days to live. Would you be proud of what they're writing? Would you have gotten everything you wanted to in there, right? If your wife is writing, if your kids were writing, if your boss is writing, if your colleagues, right? Mm. What would you want to be known for? And he has you go through, you know, all these exercises on, and, and, and I had a, a real world experience with, with, um, with this. And, and, and so it was uh, December 28th, 2018. And I was at an amusement park, it's Six Flags, Magic Mountain. And I went on a, a flying coaster. For those who don't know, a flying coaster is a coaster where the actual track is above you and you are hanging um, to simulate flying. So you're hanging over um, the, the harness versus sitting on a seat above the track. So you, there's nothing below you. You're, you're, you're sitting like Superman, completely, you know, um, uh, 90 degrees um, facing, facing down your whole body. So I was on this flying coaster. We get to the very, very top of it. We're about to do the giant drop and the ride has a big clunk and then it stops and breaks in, in, in the top of this flying coaster. So um, we were hanging, literally hanging upside down. Um, and 
it was um, a long time up there. We were we were up there for about thirty minutes. Jesus, I kid you not, Tom. The the entire time I thought the strap or the harness was going to come off because I thought maybe the ride would get reset or something you know, what it would happen where they reset it. And cause, cause that's what they have to do. They have to flip you backwards to hang. And now we're stuck hanging. And I, I just, cause wow. you're, you're the tracks above you and, and you're not thinking straight at that point. So I thought I was going to die. I really did. I thought I'd be hanging upside down. And, and I thought about my wife. I thought about my son, Max. Um, I, my second son hadn't been born yet at this point, but I, I just, there was this emptiness inside and I'm like, man, my life would be a disappointment right now. Hmm. And, and, and the, the realization I had was that I had lived my life selfishly. I'd been in pursuit of everything I had done has been for me. My family had been for me, my dream family, my house, my income. It's like my entire world was centered around making as much money as I could so I could have all the things I wanted. Okay. And the realization I had there was that I hadn't given and I hadn't served and I hadn't helped the world in a way that I would be proud of if I died. And there were a lot of gifts that I used solely for the benefit of myself versus in service of other people. Mm. And I was up there and, you know, I, I basically started praying hard, <laughs> very yeah. hard. And, and I said, God, please, please help me. Don't let this thing. I mean, you have to imagine, I, I can show you a picture after this. Um, I have, I have a picture from up there. And I'm scared to look at the picture. <laughs> it was it was the scariest freaking thing I've ever been through in my life. And um, just staring, it was 180 feet in the air. And, and the whole time I thought I was going to die. So I'm, I'm praying and, and I said, God, God, I promise, I promise I will not wait anymore to start serving other people. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. But I promise you that um, I will use my gifts in service of other people. And, and um, I kid you not, Right when I made that, the ride started going. No kidding. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, there's another moment. There's another moment that I can't deny. And, and I literally have probably five of these moments, these um, life-altering moments where, where you just see the truth and, and it's so clear to you. Um, I heard someone describe these moments. I, I don't remember what, what um, life-altering is, is not. It's, it's more like an aha moment, right? It's more yeah. like- when you when you when you see the truth in, in so such clarity clarity and at that moment I did I saw the truth of what I wanted to do with my life and and I started making videos I started on Instagram just you know to serve other people and just share kind of some lessons I've learned and it evolved into a coaching business interestingly enough that that same day when I thought I was going to die in the morning I had been listening to a podcast and the guest was the author of the five regrets of the dying. That was all about regrets of the dying. And then at night, after I got back from magic mountain, I go, I go home and that night, my dog dies suddenly out of the blue. So it was wow. like, again, God was like, get it. Like some people need a little nudge. Others need to be literally hung upside down. to, to Literally. Get yeah. across. And, and unfortunately I am the guy who needs to be fucking held upside down and so clearly <laughs> rattled to, for me to, make changes in my life and every major change I've had and every major shift that I've made has been when I've been rattled and my world has been rocked. And that that's how I got started. So the realization I have now back to your, to your question um, was that, you know, helping other people succeed and using your gifts to create something, to be able to mm. inspire others, to lead by example and to truly be of service um, is much more fulfilling than just wanting to serve yourself in your bank account. And, and mm. I can attest that when you are living in service of others and truly adding value, the money will come and will flow. And unfortunately, my coaching business has, has done um, has, has done exceptionally well in, in a very short time because I'm trying to live those principles of adding value and serving my clients. And um, you know that that's how I've been able to now leave Salesforce because I realized like, that, that this is what I'm being called to do. And mm. it's not about the money. I know the money's going to come, but it, it, I'm doing this because I want to help the sales community. I want to help people sell the right way and, and not, not teach what and why, which there's a lot of sales content out there, like what to do and why to do. There's so many methodologies and tactics, but I want to teach people how 
to actually sell, how to connect with executives. And that's the feedback I get over and over again from my clients is you're showing me how to actually do this stuff versus telling me what to do. And that's yeah. the gap. That's the gap that exists in the training market. So I'm super excited to be able to teach people how to do the job versus telling them what to do and why to do yeah. it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's on to the next uh, chapter of my life, but you know, service being of service and doing things to serve others really does bring a fulfillment that, um, that I can't describe um, so much more than just seeing that commission check and, you know, you know, not knowing what to do with it or just kind of having it be, be surreal because it's so much. And you're like, you know, that, that's, yeah. that's the shift. That was my evolution of getting to this, this point. If that answers mm. your question, I know it's a really long answer, but um, no, that's good. Context. I didn't really realize that until literally I was hanging upside down and I thought, <laughs> it. so it takes something, it takes experience. Here's the other thought I have. Is it takes experiencing that level of success to realize that that's not what brings you happiness. So Jim Carrey has a, um, a great quote where he says, I wish everybody could become rich and famous. So they realize it's not the answer. Yeah. Right? Cause what are you sacrificing in that pursuit to get rich and famous? Right. I, I sacrificed a lot. I sacrificed a lot. And when I realized what I had sacrificed was way more important than what I got from it. Right. Yeah. Meeting time with my family and my integrity and all the other stuff we talked about. Um, then it was like, okay, none of this matters anymore. None of this matters if my family's not here to enjoy it with me. Right. Yeah. And I think people learn that the hard way after it's too late. And I'm, I'm just so thankful that I didn't, that I came out stronger on the other side without having lost, you know, the things that are most important to me. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got one more uh, question and then I've, I've got a couple like uh, speed rounds for you before we wrap up. Um, I, I was curious, a question that I get a lot uh, from other, you know, AEs and people that, that listen to the show uh, is, you know, when I'm, when, when people are starting to do well as an AE, right, there tends to be two paths, uh, right? You can either go and be the top AE at, you know, enterprise AE at, at somewhere like Salesforce, right? And you're selling the biggest deals to the biggest companies in the world, or you can go down a manager route, right? And try to go up and, and become a VP of sales and, and all that. Uh, and, and you've kind of done both throughout your career. It sounds, sounds like you, seems like you've kind of like wavered back and forth and now you're doing your own thing where you're an entrepreneur and, and you're going to help, um, you know, educate and, and teach and coach people. I'm curious if you have any advice for someone that is maybe feels like they're, they're hitting that, that fork in the road between whether they should maybe go be a manager on this next promotion, or they want to get into like enterprise AE and, and start selling really big deals, like any career advice. Yeah, I think um, the first thing I would have you ask yourself if you're in that crossroads is have you done everything that you set out to do? And is there growth left, right? So mm. um, that's the first question because if you're leaving because things are hard, you don't see the opportunity, but you really haven't gotten to the top, then it's usually not time. So every time I made a move at a new you know promotion or take on teams or um, move to Salesforce from Rico, I'd gotten to that like place where I was done growing. I think that's the first thing is like, if you're done growing, if you are done growing, then yes, it's absolutely timed to make, to make a move. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. So that, then, then it's like, okay, sales or leadership. And, and I think that just depends on your motivation. It depends on what you want. So if you're somebody who's, um, I would say money motivated and you wanna have flexibility in terms of your schedule and where you are, and freedom to work when you want and just kind of worrying about yourself. I think definitely sales is, is the best path because you're pretty much the business owner for your own territory and you can work remotely and, you know, sell, I mean, depending on the company, if you're, if you're selling at a Salesforce in a director position, like I am, you know, you're, you're pretty much running your own show, right? You don't yeah. have that micromanagement level. We're not talking about entry level. We're talking about like, you know, running a $20 million territory or, or something equivalent like that. So um, I think working in sales is like, I want to worry about me. I want to make my money. I don't want to yeah. have to, I want to do my thing and not be told what to do, you know, apart from the trainings or the mandatory stuff. I think that like independent kind of mind is, is really geared towards staying in sales. And if that's what makes you happy, you stay there um, and then get to the top. And if you're at the top in that strategic account role where you're selling, you know, the fortune 500s at the likes of Salesforce or wherever you could be at a startup, but like really making that seven figures, like really top of your game. And you're mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm done growing. I want to get out of here. Then, okay, go into management, right? You get to that point where you're at the very top of your game. And then 
um, when you're bored and when you feel like you, you're growing, that's when you make a move. So, you know, I was at two companies for 19 years, but in those companies, I had many, many different positions and, and yeah. Rico, I managed sales teams and managed managers. And then I had 80 employees and, and uh, 10 sales managers when I, when I left there. So I kind of climbed the ranks. And what I, what I found in leadership, which is the other path is, you know, that frontline sales manager role is, is really, really rewarding and fulfilling because you literally are hiring people. You're taking them on, you're teaching them the ropes. You're out there leading by example, showing them how to sell, selling with them, putting money in their pocket. So if you're somebody's motivated by coaching others and leading others and really um, developing others and watching others succeed to the point I shared earlier about being of service, I think sales leadership is great, right? Especially that frontline leader. But you know, again, as you get higher and you start managing managers, which is what I was doing, there's more bureaucracy, there's more reporting, you get pulled away from that development of people mm. and more into like, you know, sandwiched kind of between the company goals, your team strategic. And that's what I found myself is, is as I got in that middle management, I got less and less away from the customers that I loved selling to and in the individual AEs that I loved coaching. And so I yeah. went back and became an individual contributor again, because I, I realized I love selling, right? And yeah. Even though I love leading and helping and coaching people, I wasn't doing that much of that as I climbed the ranks in mm. sales management. I, so, so if you're a CRO or a head of sales, you know, a lot of times you're in meetings and in boardrooms and you're not necessarily in the frontline coaching and leading or with the customers as much as you'd like. And I'd yep. say for people that get to that position and they realize it's not what they wanted, you know, again, then you make another change. So I think yep. it's good to experience both. So you know what you like and what you don't like. But my, my number one piece of advice is don't make a move if you're not done growing. When you've gotten to the top and you've done everything you set out to do, then it's time to grow. But don't leave because, you know, you, things are hard or because, you know, you don't like the direction it's going. So you're changing careers as an excuse to get away from your current situation. I see that mm. a lot, right? It's like they're yeah. just tired of whatever. And so they go into management. And that's not a great reason to do it. Go into management because you want to develop and serve and watch other people succeed. Don't go in for money because frankly, you can make a lot more money as an individual contributor in sales. If you're two, 300% of your plan crushing it, you're going to make more than the manager who has to rely on a team, seven or eight people to get yeah. to their number. And you're just not going to be 300% as a manager. It's unlikely, whereas you can do that as an individual contributor. So um, yeah. hopefully that answers your question. It depends on your motivation. It, is the short yeah. answer. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And uh, a couple speed rounds before I let you go, Ian. Um, so you can answer these in you know sentence or two each. Uh, we talked about Stephen Covey's book. We're big learners on this podcast. Any other books? It could be any topic in the whole world. Uh, that uh, any books that have been really impactful for you as a as a person or as a business person. Um, Seven Habits is my number one of all time. Um, yep. My number two, Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. So mm. Napoleon Hill wrote Think and Grow Rich. He's known yep. for that, but a lot of people don't know Outwitting the Devil. Really, really great read about facing your demons and, Ooh. you know, going against the grain, right? What society, mm. what everyone says is going to make you happy or do, you know, being being with the herd. If you're someone who is, is just an outcast or kind of always likes the hard road or, you know, is different. And, and you like pain and, and you just always take the, the road less traveled, Outwinning the Devil is a really, I think, a great read. It resonated well with me. Um, another book I, I love is Atomic Habits, um, really about, you know, the power of habit and how to break bad habits and getting good habits, develop self-discipline. Uh, let's see, those those three jump out. I, I talked about the happiness advantage. Um, there, there are some sales books that I recommend. I like Keenan's Gap Selling. Um, yep. as a way it matches and aligns with kind of how I sell focusing on where they want to go, where they are today. And that gap, that challenge spin selling is also a fantastic sales book gap and spin selling are similar in, in their approach. Gap is a little more modern. Um, but I like those, uh, I, yeah, I read, I read every month I have a new book, so yeah. I could go on. The one I'm reading right now is called The Go-Giver. I, I just, oh, yeah. uh, it's like how to be of service in the industry of sales and how if you give first, you, you receive a lot more within sales. And, and I really like it so far. The, the storytelling that the authors are using is fantastic. So that one I haven't finished yet, but I already would recommend it just based on kind of where I'm at. But um, I would tee up Seven Habits number one. Yeah. Um, you know, of all, of all time there. Yeah. There's so many books, but that, that's what comes to mind right now. That's a great one. Uh, 
Okay. Um, the biggest deal that you closed in your career, how big? I closed for Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, which was a $12 million deal. Whoo! Yeah, it was, a, it was a nice size, chunky. I can say that because <laughs> it's public. <laughs> it's a public reference, but yeah, that was a, it was a multi-year contract. They had started with us. They were spending 30,000, not doing anything. It was like one small area and we just wow. blew up and, and very strategically aligned with their CEO, their COO. And it was, I'm still friends with him. He's been to my house. He ended up leaving to go to another company, but um, it was a really fantastic. I, I've a, had a lot of deals, but that's the biggest one. There's been other deals with Activision and Blizzard and um, Experian and, 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 Certainly in my Rico days, I had a bigger team that was it was selling with me. So I had a lot of exposure there. But as an individual, the Berkshire one was the biggest one that closed. Dang, I was going to ask if Warren Buffett got involved in that one. Actually, um, funny story. There was a $50 million contract we were trying to close. It was, it was mm. $47 million And it got to the boardroom. And I was told I, I was told I got the deal and that the board approval was just a formality. And that was from their CEO. And literally, even their parent company was negotiating terms. Everything was ready to go. And um, the CEO was supposed to update me on the board waiting. He's gone silent. So imagine that. Like You're waiting on a yeah. $47 million deal. Jesus. He goes silent. And, and it was, um, yeah, it was, it was heartbreaking. I, he calls me up, uh, end of the day. And I was in Dallas, Texas. And he says, Ian, I, I got some bad news. They didn't approve it. I'm like, well, what happened? He's like, well, the, the chairman of Berkshire Hathaway Energy, right? And I won't name names. You can look them up. But um, he said he's friends with Bill Gates. And <laughs> he goes to Bill Gates's house. And, and apparently um, this got all the way up to the Berkshire board level where they said, you know, give Microsoft a shot, right? Bill Gates is on our board. If you know anything about Warren yeah. Buffett, um, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett are very, very close friends. And so yeah. um, that that actually was a political, uh, you know, roadblock that I did not anticipate and <laughs> could do nothing about it. And it completely derailed the deal. And so that would have been my biggest deal of my career, 47 million. I, and I was told I got it. And, you know, it is what it is. I'm, I'm you know, I, I say find the gift in everything. Um, yeah. And, and the gift is that you learn to deal with heartbreak and move on and keep going. That's the gift is bouncing back, you know, from something like that. So yeah, that was, that would have been my biggest, but instead it was, it was 12. Crazy. All right. Last two for you. Uh, number one, your family guy, clearly you seem like you got your priorities in order. Uh, I'm engaged and trying to build out, you know, a, a life as well. So what's your number one tip for me, uh, for relationships, for family life? Well, first of all, congratulations. Um, thank you. I'll give you my number one tip. It's from the Bible. So I don't memorize scripture, but it, it says um, about marriage, it says that when you get married, you are yoked together. And it says, let no, no man pull apart what God has woven together or yoked together. And I can't remember the exact scripture, but um, that one has stayed with me because mm. when, you're, when you're an individual and your wife is an individual, your partner's an individual, um, then it's like my needs, her needs, and we're completely separate. But if you are literally woven together and you see yourself as one entity, one mm. unified entity, one person in God's eyes, you are one, right? You become one with that person. Then if they're in pain, if they're upset, you're upset. Whereas mm. if you're separate, it's like, why, why are you upset? What are you trying to, you know, just fix it, go do this. You know, guys, especially are quick to like try and find a fix or a solution. But yeah. if, if it's your pain too and not their pain, then you're going to approach it differently. So what my, my advice is, you know, when your partner, um, your, your fiance has a problem, you know, really see it and treat it as your problem and put yourself in her shoes. And that really is going to enable you to be more empathetic versus, you know, seeing it as her problem instead yeah. of yours. So that, yeah. that really, really landed with me um, in my marriage because it's so easy just to like, me and you, but when you're us and when you're unified, then you can um, be there for them when, when they're, when they really need you and vice versa. Right. So mm. that that's it is, is like, try to um, take her point of view. And, and again, Stephen Covey talks a lot about this <laughs> and, and, and it's about um, 
co-creating with with your partner and, and and really working together versus trying to fix stuff and um one of the books that i forgot to recommend is the five love languages and oh, that's a good one that's a that's yeah. a classic you know get get to know your wife's love language and the last piece of advice i'll give you is happy wife happy life so yeah. <laughs> you know do do things to make your wife happy make her a priority as someone who uh, made work a priority and, and myself a priority for a long time. I can tell you it's it's made all the difference in my own marriage to put my wife's needs, you know, equal to mine and, and really prioritize spending quality time with her and being present with her when I'm with her. So we can do a whole separate par- um, podcast on, on marriage <laughs> advice yeah. because I've made all the mistakes and I literally almost lost my, my wife and my family. So I've, I've had to you know, go to counseling and marriage and therapy. And um, this is kind of a summary of what, what anyone will tell you is like, yeah, try to try to take their point of view, be empathetic, treat your her problems as your problems, and you're going to be in good shape. Yeah, Ian, I, I appreciate how open you've been, been super generous with, with your time, with your wisdom. Uh, before the last question here, the, the last piece, like I definitely want to encourage everyone that's listening to go connect with you on LinkedIn, check you out on YouTube, Instagram, you're all over the place. You're not hard to find. Um, but, but maybe just kind of close us out with, with talking for a minute, just about what you're doing from a coaching standpoint. By the time this is out, you will have left Salesforce. You'll be on your own doing your thing, moving and shaking. Um, and so maybe just the best place where, where people can connect with you and, and learn more about that too. Yeah, where, where I'm at right now. So we're recording into September. Um, and my goal is in January to launch a membership site for B2B tech sales professionals. And the membership site will um, have um, all of my content and courses, access to on-demand courses where you know you can learn everything from prospecting to negotiations to getting in with strategic. It's going to be strategic selling. So really solution selling, strategic selling geared more towards, you know, um, I'd say more complex you know, not, not transactional, I'm not selling uh, knives, no, no offense, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm selling no software or, or strategic consulting, you know, more, more longer, longer term plays where companies have to change what they're doing to adopt what you're selling. So that's, that'll be um, launched in January. It'll have an online portal and I'll be doing group coaching every week. So I'll have a membership site with um, different tiers of membership from online all the way up to individual coaching. Um, right now I am, booked uh, through the end of the, the year with my private coaching. Um, but th- what I would say is uh, if you're interested in, in um, signing up for the wait list, I will cap enrollment because I want the experience to be tailored and personalized and, and not have too many people in these, in these group calls. Um, and so go on the wait list. It's uh, just my name, www.ianconiac.com slash contact. And on that waitlist, on the second form down, it says sign up for the coaching membership waitlist. So that that form, if you fill out, um, I'm going to be going in order of what um, you know the people sign up and reaching out to everyone individually once it's launched. You'll also see it launched on LinkedIn. But if you're on there, you're going to get first first priority to get in the course. Um, I also have all of my um, free content available on my YouTube channel, which which has training around selling, around mindset and habits, around you know, happiness and fulfillment, kind of a lot of the stuff we touched upon, because it's all, it all, it, it's all life, right? It's all, yeah. it's not just sales, it's, it's living the life that you deserve and you want. That's, that's what I'm after. I'm after combining training that incorporates selling skills, mindset and habits to be the very best version of yourself. So I want to put content out there that doesn't exist today and really touches upon not just how to sell, but how to live your best life and, and combining those you know, elements of personal development and selling. So that's my, my life's work and and I'm actively building and um, developing that, that site right now. And so uh, jump on the wait list. And the other place to find me is just LinkedIn, shoot, shoot a direct message to me, a DM on LinkedIn, and just tell me you heard me on the podcast and I'll, I'll send you um, the links to my newsletter. So you can Every, every week I release a new sales training video. So if you connect on LinkedIn, I'll send you the newsletter link. You can sign up and I'll send you my YouTube. If you subscribe there, um, that will certainly help the cause and me producing more content. I have a ton of free content out there that can serve the, the sales community. So check that stuff out. And if you want more you know, hands-on, um, get on my wait list and hopefully we can meet sometime. Awesome. Ian, I appreciate you, man. 
thank you so much for uh, for coming on and, and sharing everything with us. Thank you, Tom, and congrats on uh, getting engaged and wishing you the best as well. Thank you. Appreciate it. What's up, everybody? Thanks for checking out that podcast. Uh, happy July to you. Uh, would love if you took 22 seconds and hit subscribe wherever you're listening or watching this. Uh, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, your favorite podcast player. And be sure to check out some of my content on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm Tom Alamo. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Tommy Tahoe. Have a great day. Make it legendary. Peace.